Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome back. Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Thursday evening. First timer. Locally. Retired. Enjoying, I mean, I don't know where Jimmy Hyams is at the moment, but he's somewhere and I mean, it, he's in the darkness. He could be out on the lake right now. I don't, he could be in a cave. Nobody knows where Jimmy goes uh, these days as a retired sports writer, sports uh, radio guy, still on Sports Source each and every Sunday. But Jimmy, good evening, sir. How are you? Jason, I'm doing very well. I hope you are also. Absolutely. Absolutely. What uh, what have you found yourself doing the most in retirement that you would not have ever guessed uh, beforehand? Well, that one's hard to say. Uh, I will tell you that my day today, I played tennis at 9 a.m., Okay. golf at noon, pickleball at 6. Wow. So that, that's a full day for a retired person. I've actually played pickleball twice in the last week. I played three times in my life. Uh-huh. And so that that's a sport that I've really enjoyed. It's a good group of people I'm playing with, and it's been a lot of fun. So that's something that uh, that I'm trying to pick up and play a little bit more in my uh, semi-retirement. I, people are like, wait a minute, I'll see you here and there. I'm probably about 90% retired. I've still got a few things uh, in the in the fire. I like it. I like it. Did you ever see yourself retiring? Did you just, or was it one of those things as you get older, you're like, actually, I'm kind of more into retirement than I ever thought I would be? Because I no, wonder I ex- about that with me. I wanted to retire when I was 55. Okay. Uh, financially and having two kids and expenses, I wasn't able to do that. Mm. Uh, but I was preparing two years before I actually retired at, at age 67. Uh, because, Chase, I got started full-time when I was 16. Mm. So I've been in this profession for 51 years on a full-time basis. And and I just felt like it was it, it was time. I was During football season, I was working seven days a week. I was working 65 to 70 hours a week. Uh, that just got to be a little bit much for me. So I'm selective right now. I do a roundtable on Friday with the mm-hmm. sports animal. I'm doing a football final show 
with Fawad Reves. I'm doing Sunday morning with Tim Irwin. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the sports horses you mentioned. <clears throat> and also um, on Saturday mornings, Doug Matthews in Nashville. I'm doing a show with him as well. That's so still I'm pretty actually, busy. That's uh, not yeah, really semi-retirement, that's, sir. That's not 10% of uh, retirement. I, mm, I don't know if I buy that, Jimmy. Well, okay. I don't blame you. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to stay away from the Monday to Friday stuff. <laughs> yeah. I did agree to do the Friday roundtable with the New Sentinel. Uh, I'm I'm sorry with the uh, Sports Animal because mm. they got Heath Schuler on. And okay. Heath and I go way back, so it's been enjoyable to do the show with him. I love it. Um, if you had to rank the three sports you play today, though, how do you rank them in terms of level of enjoyment for you? Level of enjoyment. I just set off my phone so that I wouldn't miss this appointment. Now I can't find my phone. Um, level of enjoyment. Mm. Today it was tennis because I won all three of my matches. Okay. Uh, then secondly, it was pickleball. I won most of them. Uh, golf, I played really well, except I couldn't make a putt. I missed five putts inside five feet. Okay. And I used to be a good putter. That's pretty frustrating. So I'm, uh, on the frustration level, golf, uh, took the cake today, but I, uh, <laughs> tennis and pickleball, I played pretty well today. Your favorite Knoxville golf course is what? Holston Hills Country Club, which is where mm. I'm a member. I live on the golf course. I also live on the Holston River. So it's it's a nice place to retire if I ever decide to do it. Mm. Do you fish at all? <laughs> so, or you're on the river. Are you fishing I, I at all? Do, I do. I don't fish much. I do fish. Uh, I'm kind of a novice at that. I, I don't know what bait works. So I'm mm. out there casting, not fishing anything. And maybe I'll just go dig up some worms and, and fish with a cork. But mm. I, I don't know what the fish are hitting right now. I, I'm not schooled at that. I'm not... Uh, I'm not uh, knowledgeable in that regard. I think I would have more fun if I was catching some more fish, but I, yeah. I just don't know what baits to use. I need to get with somebody that has some experience. Well, you got some time. You're a retired man, Jimmy. This is now is the time. You're right. <laughs> I, I like it. Maybe that's the you got Bob Hodge. That's who you need to follow around. I feel there like Bob's go. the outdoors right. man. There you that's go. Right. Just for a weekend, Bob. Um, well, let's talk some balls here, Jimmy. Um, if I was going to ask, if, if I was going to look in the clairvoyant, uh, clairvoyant Jimmy Himes here, and you already know what's going to happen on Saturday night in the swamp, is Tennessee going to beat Florida in the swamp Saturday night? If you are just, you already know the result. What does your gut tell you there? I think Tennessee is going to beat Florida. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be a big challenge. Uh, look, here's the key, and it. It, it never is as simple as what I the way I'm going to put it, but I'm going to put it very simply. Mm. If Joe Milton plays well, Tennessee wins. If mm. he doesn't, if he plays like he did against Austin P, if he can't hardly complete a, a pass downfield, then I, I don't like Tennessee's chances. Um, I think Tennessee, the run defense is really good. Florida had, what, 13 yards rushing against Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Graham Mertz has put up a lot of yards passing, but I think Tennessee, I think Tennessee can force Florida to be one dimensional and then put pressure on Mertz. Yeah. But Joe Milton has got to be effective. And if he's effective, then I think Tennessee will score 27 to 34 points. And I think that'll be enough to beat Florida. I don't think they got to get to 38 like a, a year ago, because I don't think Florida's offense is, uh, is very good, but, and I also think Tennessee can run the ball effectively, but mm-hmm. I don't think Tennessee can throw what? 18 of those bubble screens or quick outs <laughs> against Florida. That's not, first off, Florida has better athletes than Austin P. And secondly, mm. they're going to clue into that and they're going to make it difficult for that wide receiver trying to make the block. So you, you've got to complete some intermediate, some deep throws. And that's where Joe Milton comes in. If he plays well, Tennessee wins. If he doesn't, 
there's a really good chance Florida comes away with the victory, which Tennessee hadn't won there since 2003. So it's about time Tennessee snapped that streak. What if he's okay, though? What if Joe's just fine, which is kind of really what he's been. I think the it's just funny because like the third downs are an issue. And we saw that in Vanderbilt and Clemson. We saw it in Clemson in a big way mm-hmm. with a lot of early three and outs. And that was something that all offseason where people cited the Clemson game. I was like, it was pretty rocky. Uh, there was the big moments. There was just more deep shots. Like he hit squirrel, obviously. He hit Ramel a couple times. Like mm-hmm. he had the deep shots to kind of make you forget that the offense did have a lot of clunkiness to it. And we haven't really seen the tempo uh, really put either Austin P or Virginia on edge the way that Hendon Hooker did. So when we talk about tempo, I'm like, that's something that I'm looking for in the first quarter is just, is the tempo back that we saw that made it so difficult to defend all last year with Hendon Hooker? Because I don't think we've really seen it yet with Joe. And part of that is just, you have to hit some of these deep shots. You have to get in a rhythm early. And Tennessee has not been in a rhythm in the first quarter in either of these uh, last two games. Well, they scored a touchdown the first possession against Virginia, and then Mm. they went four consecutive possessions without a score. And that's rare for Tennessee to do that. Now, a little bit of the lack of up-tempo might, might be related to not having Cooper Mays at center. Mm. I thought he was really good at making quick calls of getting the ball quickly to the official to get it set in play and for Tennessee to – to rip off a lot of plays in a short period of time. Nobody ran a faster offense in Tennessee. So mm. they might miss him a little bit, Chase, in that regard. Uh, but uh, but you have to hit some first downs. And once you hit some first downs and you start going at, at, at warp speed, it's hard for the defense to catch up to you. Here's another thing I've noticed, uh, and I'm going to mention two things. One, I thought Milton was really good against Clemson. Mm. I thought he was all right against Virginia, and then not so good against Austin Peay. He said he's gone the wrong direction, in my mm-hmm. opinion, the last three games. Uh, so that's one fact. But the other factor is this. I remember watching Tennessee a year ago. They had wide receivers running wide open mm. against Alabama and a lot of other teams. I don't see them running wide open. I see some folks open slightly, mm. but I don't see them just – now, uh, there was one case from El Keaton had a Virginia guy beat deep and dropped the long ball. Mm. But but rarely have I seen the Tennessee guys running wide open, which uh, which is interesting to me. I don't know if that means Tennessee's been holding back a little bit in their scheme uh, that, and, and holding it for Florida. I don't know. But by golly, if you've been holding it, now's the time to unleash it. <laughs> well, I also think, you know, so much of the conversation was just losing Hendon Hooker, right, this offseason. Mm-hmm. And look, Hendon Hooker was awesome. Um, but you look at the Jalen Hyatt departure, and I think that's hit Tennessee way harder than I think a lot of fans would have anticipated because people just penciled in Squirrel and Dante Thornton. Just uh, you get the combination of those two should be enough to replicate what Jalen Hyatt did last year. But I think Jalen Hyatt, we're learning, was actually kind of a special yeah. take the top off the defense kind of track yep. speed guy that they don't have and that you could count on. Yeah. Like Jalen Hyatt, you could count on right out of the gate um, for Tennessee last year, and he was just solid and virtually unguardable and you talk about the just guys running open deep it was Jalen Hyatt against Kentucky that was breaking coverage it was Jalen Hyatt against Mm -hmm. Alabama I don't it's still too early to say Dante Thornton or Squirrel can't be that but I think we're learning that's the big that's a big part for me is that we focus so much on Hendon but I think Jalen is now kind of underrated based on what we've seen for the first couple weeks because I think he was kind of the the difference maker uh, with putting so much pressure on these defenses with what he did in the slot and these guys just might not be as good which is how, you don't get Jalen Hyatt's every uh, every year. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Now, it, it makes me wonder if Tennessee has not played all of its cards. Hmm. Have they not run some of the routes that they use to get Hyatt open? Yeah. Uh, I do think Squirrel White has played well. Uh, Keaton dropped that pass against Virginia. I think he's been okay. Brew McCoy has not been the receiver I thought he would be. At least he's mm-hmm. not been as in, as involved uh, in the passing game. And then Dante Thornton's been almost a no-show. He, he hasn't done much. That doesn't mean he won't uh, eventually. Yeah. One of the things about this offense, and Dante Thornton's probably finding it out, there's a whole lot of reading to it. Mm. You've got to read what the defense is doing, and then the quarterback's got to be on the same page reading the same thing you're doing. They did that with Hendon Hooker. Uh, I'm not quite sure the receivers and Milton are on the same page. Chase, here's another thing, and and my opinion, certainly I I don't get to watch, I wouldn't go anyway because I'm, quote, retired. But uh, here's here's the thing. If Joe Milton does not throw almost a perfect pass, it's not going to be caught. Mm. If he throws it so hard, that if it's a little bit low in a way, mm. it's going to be incomplete. If it's high and they're having to reach up in their fingertips, it's incomplete. If they have to reach behind them or forward, uh, I just I don't see them making those catches that they did for Hendon Hooker because Hooker threw a softer pass, a more catchable ball. Yeah. So I, I think Milton's got to be spot on with his throws. He can't be a little bit off target or those passes are going to be incomplete. But on the plus side, they're never going to be intercepted either because no one's catching <laughs> right. up. Like that's that's the the plus there is just uh, it, it's going to hurt if you want to pick off a Joe Milton pass. I mean, that story Brew told this week about like having to turn the machine up to the highest degree uh, to get ready to catch this. But, like maybe that's the a sign that this need this isn't going to work, or maybe we need to we need to change some things because that's not commonplace. Uh, I don't think in. Uh, many quarterback receiver uh practices is uh having to prepare in that to that level of degree but i think too and this is something that i wondered and i've thought about this week and i want to get your perspective on this jimmy where i look at this game and i've kind of i've gone so back and forth on this because i think this is actually the pivotal game of the year and will tell us where tennessee's going because you win this game you're looking at five and oh against bama and then we're right back to where we were a year ago you lose this game the only way to lose this game is ugly I don't think there's a way for Tennessee to play well and still lose this game, if that makes sense. So if they go down in Gainesville, it's because things got really ugly. We probably see the worst hypo offensive showing uh, through three years. I think we're looking at something like that based on what we've seen from this Florida team. I think it just will be the ways in which Tennessee wins. I think is a lot more than Tennessee fans are giving this team credit for. And I think hypo deserves benefit the doubt in a lot of these big games to this point. And I look at it, it kind of feels like LSU last year to me. It's That's kind of where it's at, where LSU wasn't quite ready. It was early in the Brian Kelly era. People, Tennessee fans were nervous and kind of penciling in the Death Valley loss of like, look, uh, it's just asking for a lot from Hypo in year two to go into uh, enemy territory, very tough place to play, even if it was at 11 a.m. Like it was still Death Valley, and this was a team that ended up winning the SEC West. And they just they got off to that great start with D, with the fumble on the kickoff, yeah. and they just really jumped on LSU right out of the gate and took the air out of the building and never gave it back. I think Tennessee could very much do the same thing against Florida, and I think it's kind of where I'm headed. Like I think if Tennessee wins this game, I think it's actually a blowout similar to what it was in LSU because I think if it's close, that means Tennessee's having a really really rough night, 
And that's just not where you want to be. Cause then I think that feels like the house of horrors where they in 2015, where they were at the last time they were favored in the swamp and they lost by a point with 28, 27, I think. So you just don't want to be in that zone. If Tennessee wins this game, yeah. I actually think it's going to be a big, big win. Well, it, it might, uh, I've actually, I see it as a close Tennessee win. Um, the, the LSU thing a year ago, I covered that program and I'm going to mm. tell you, there is a huge difference when LSU plays at 11 AM versus mm. night. Tiger Stadium. I, I thought that was a huge benefit for Tennessee. And I actually I gave Tennessee a pretty good chance to win that game just because I know that uh, LSU and their fans sleepwalk when they have an early game. Mm -hmm. Here's what I see at, at, at Florida. I, I don't see Tennessee blowing Florida out. Mm. Uh, I, I have seen some Tennessee teams who were, they were much better than Florida. And Tennessee would go down there and lose. And I'm talking about in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is going to be a game where Tennessee, they can get a lead, uh, maybe 10 or 14 points, and then I think they hold on. Hmm. I think that's what will happen. I, I don't see them extending it, and I don't know the LSU score, 40 to 14 or something like that. Something like that, I, yeah. I, I, I don't see that happening. I, I think Florida kind of hangs in there. It's what they have done in the past, even when, even when Tennessee would jump out to a lead. Now, I think – the last time Tennessee played there, uh, Josh Eichel's first year, I think Florida won 38-14. Mm -hmm. it, it was one of the uh, uh, less productive offensive showings that Tennessee has had under Heupel. But this this offense should be a lot better than that. Florida's yep. not as good. Florida, in my opinion, is a 500 team. Yeah. I, when I looked at their schedule, I went game by game. I picked them five and seven. I thought, okay, they'll probably sneak up and get one win that I don't have. So mm -hmm. I ended up at six and six. But personnel-wise, they're not as good. Uh, I don't think – if Milton's playing well, they're not as good a quarterback. I'll take Tennessee's running back room. I'll take Tennessee's receiver's room. Uh, at the line of scrimmage, I think Tennessee's better. I don't think Florida's offensive line's very good. They ran for 13 yards, I believe it was, against Utah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, everything points to Tennessee winning except the fact that Tennessee hasn't won there since 2003. But doesn't that so, kind of remind you of the LSU conversation last year? Well, no, they didn't have a streak like that against well, LSU. Well, I'm not saying a streak, but it was just kind of like everything is pointing to Tennessee. They should beat LSU. Like, they should. Fans just didn't want to say we should beat LSU at LSU. Like, it was just hard to be that confident about it, even though you really should have. Well, I didn't feel that way because I thought LSU's – I think the roster's a lot better than Florida's. Mm. I thought LSU was a lot better than Florida last year with Jaden Daniels and and the, the crew that they had. And then they yeah. went on to win the, the West Division and, and beat Alabama. So I thought the LSU team was a lot better. I didn't – I didn't see it as Tennessee should win that game. But I then, just thought they had that a instance, chance. Then you should look at this game of like this is bet this is a worse team than LSU that you went in and blew out last year. And I mean, I obviously you don't have Jalen <laughs> well, Hyatt and Hinton Hooker, but like, yeah. I just think Tennessee fans are scared to say obviously because of the history there. Just we all need to collectively be like they're going to blow out Florida. Like it, part of this growing uh, of the program and taking back um, this side of the East and like moving on from the South Carolina, the Kentuckys and the Floridas, it's like, you have to take care of business in these games. And Heupel did it last year. Got really spooky mm -hmm. late. I was in the building for that. Jimmy, it wasn't fun yeah. um, for that last quarter and a half. And the Tennessee fans who got extremely confident in the second quarter, like popping Gator, um, a little, what was it? It was like an inflatable Gator that was being passed around and Tennessee fans were breaking it. And I was like, I think I turned to my wife and I was like, this has all the 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 omens of just disaster. I I don't know what to do here, but I have a bad feeling. And because like, it didn't matter. You could be up 30 points going in the fourth. I'm still extremely nervous about Florida, but 
I just felt like they got the monkey off their back last year. And I think Florida is going in the wrong direction. I think Tennessee is moving in the right direction. And I think Joe, this is like his Super Bowl. He's back in Florida. He says he doesn't lose in Florida. The last, the best game we've seen of yeah. Joe was in Miami. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of family here. I just, my gut of guts tells me this is the Joe Milton breakout game. Because if it's not, I think it's a really rough showing. And then we might be looking at maybe the end of the Joe Milton era at Tennessee. Wow. Uh, I <laughs> I don't see that. I, I don't see it being in, uh, potentially the end of the Joe Milton era. I, I think he gets it. We, here's the thing that, that we don't know. How good mm-hmm. is Nico Iamaleva looking in practice? Yeah. Is he ready to take over? Has he been running the offense? Is he completing 75% of his passes in practice? I don't know that. Yeah. Nobody probably does. He has to be ready before you make that move. Now, I don't think Milton will play so poorly that they decide, okay, we're not going with him anymore. Mm. Uh, if, if Florida wins 30 to 27 uh, and Milton is those for 250 yards and two touchdowns, I don't see a change being made. Um, but also, I just don't see Tennessee blowing Florida out based on the mm. history, yeah. based on what I've seen the last nine or 10 times that Tennessee has played there, uh, even with the better team. Yeah. Even with at the end of the year, Tennessee ends up with a better record than Florida. They have just struggled to win in Gainesville. So, that's why I think Tennessee wins, but I think it's um I, I don't think they win by double digits. I think I, I've got him with a seven point win. Okay, yeah, and I think it's just it's less about Joe and like what Hypo would do. I just that Nico chant was loud in Nashville when he entered the game. Fans know, and you like I was in the building two years ago when Joe had the rough outing against Pitt, and the Harrison Bailey chants were extremely loud. And you look at it where I'm like, Nico is an easy name to chant. Everyone yeah. knows about Nico. Everyone yeah. wants to see Nico. Everyone's kind of uneasy about Joe at this point still. I just think you're looking at UTSA the following week at home. If you're in a dogfight against UTSA and it's you're coming off the Florida loss, I just think this crowd, we've seen it before. It's going to get restless and you're going to hear it. And I, want, I don't know how Joe responds when that kind of pressure continues to amplify behind him. And it's not that wouldn't even really be Joe's fault, but I'm just saying knowing this fan base and you've been covering the Tennessee Vols fan base for a long time Joe loses in the swamp and it's not a great showing and then they're in a dogfight in the fourth quarter with UTSA a good group of five team at home you you know the boo birds are coming and we're looking at another just kind of uncomfortable quarterback situation I I just that's that's where I feel it's just such a big point in the season and it's week three well, I think it's a big point in the season too, but I don't, if you're Josh Heupel, you could care less about the booze. Yeah. You cannot react to that. And you might be too young to know this, but mm. when Peyton Manning was a freshman, yeah, he struggled against Memphis and the fans started yelling for Brandon Stewart and they were booing Peyton Manning. Okay. So what if, the, well. what, what if the coaching staff had said, oh, okay, we're going to acquiesce to the fans. They want Brandon mm-hmm. Stewart. How did that work out? Well, hold on. What did JT Shrout do when he went in for Jarrett Garantano in the Kentucky game? It was all great, right? Oh, no. Did he throw an immediate pick? Oh, that's that's what he did. That so, that, that, well. I mean, you can't react to fans. You cannot no. do that as a coach. So, um, look, is it possible that it can end up in Nico's hands this year? That's possible. But yeah. I think Joe Milton's got to fall flat on his face. And and I and and by the way, I think the I think the team responds really well to Joe Milton yeah. also. I think, well, I think everyone wants to cheer team. for him, right? Like he's a great story. Yeah. He's the guy who stayed. Everyone wants to. It's just this weird. You just it, it, he's just on Hendon, and it's not. It's it's clunky, no. and fans are now conditioned to 
efficient, dominant offense. And it's just, I don't see it not being clunky. Like I just, I think it's going to continue to have its ups and downs. I wrote a blog the other day that said that no coach in Tennessee history has raised the bar yeah. on offense like Josh Heupel. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, in 2020, Tennessee was 3-7. and seven, They had trouble scoring a touchdown Yeah, in, in some games. And now it's like, what? Virginia, <laughs> 49 points and 499 yards? What's wrong with the offense? Good yeah. gracious. So they've raised the bar in that regard. And – I didn't expect Joe Milton to play as well as Hendon Hooker. Mm. Um, I, and I also don't expect him to play poorly. So yeah. we'll see where that one goes. But I, I do look. Hendon Hooker had arguably the greatest single season in Tennessee history. Mm. He completed almost seventy percent of his passes. It's better percentage than Peyton Manning ever had. His touchdown to interception ratio was twenty-seven to two. That was a school record. Nobody had ever done that before. Mm. He also ran for four hundred thirty yards and. Uh, some of Tennessee's great quarterbacks weren't able to do that either. So it's one of the great years ever. That's why I thought they would. The here was my prediction: mm-hmm. the offense would go from averaging forty-six points to about forty. Now uh, they're right, right there. Now they are in two games, but that mm-hmm. Austin P performance makes me think. Oops, <laughs> I'm not sure they're going to get to forty a game mm-hmm. uh, this year. So, but I expected Joe Milton to have two or three games this year where he didn't play very well. And Hendon yeah. Hooker was incredibly consistent. So one of those games was Austin P. So we'll see what happens in Gainesville. I'm so excited. I'm I'm going to be a wreck, Jimmy, on Saturday because it's a night game. And it's just uh, the night big Tennessee games are brutal. Like the South Carolina game was just, it felt, mm-hmm. uh, I predicted before the year where I said Tennessee would go 10-2. and two, They'd split Bama and Georgia and they'd lose South Carolina at late. We should not be allowed to play South Carolina late in the year, especially on the road. <laughs> no part of that. And if I also was the schedule maker with the new schedule, we're moving Florida. Third week of the season has just been a house of horrors. You know who gets worse as the season goes on? You you cited that Tennessee has finished with the better record than Florida so many times. Mm-hmm. Move that one. Let that one. Uh, let's have Florida come to Knoxville in November. Let's do that one. Let's uh, let's move this out of the September. At least move it around a little bit because that uh, I think has been a big part of it too. It's just well, these early season games before well, Tennessee's really rolling. Speaking of that, remember how, what an awesome atmosphere it was in 2001. Now, uh, obviously, yeah. the circumstances which led to that game being played late were horrific. Mm-hmm. But that that was a phenomenal game played late in the year to decide who was going to win the East Division. Yeah. And I remember one year, I think I'm right about this, one year when Florida actually was playing pretty good football early in the year. And then they went on to have an awful season, four and eight or something like mm-hmm. that. But at the time, Tennessee played them, they were pretty good. Uh, at the end of the year, they were terrible. Yeah. So I, I would, I have, I'm kind of like you. I've long favored this game being played in uh, in November. Yeah, and now with Georgia being what they are, let's play opening weekend. Just get it out of the way. Let's just go ahead and get Georgia off the schedule. Let's get them week one, get it over with, and then move on with our year and actually do our normal schedule. Well, Jimmy, this has been great. I appreciate uh, you making the time this evening. Uh, what uh, can the good folks check out from you uh, this weekend uh, all across uh, Knoxville? Well, we've got a blog that's going up, and I've been working with Dave Hooker, so it'll be on his uh, his website about Tennessee and Florida in my prediction. Uh, also, uh, on uh, Friday afternoon, four to five, I'll be doing the roundtable with the uh, the uh, with the Sports Animal. Uh, Eleven a.m. Saturday, Doug Matthews. Uh, I've got football finals uh, three thirty with mm-hmm. Fawad Reves. Sunday morning with Tim Irwin, and then Sunday at eleven a.m. the Sports Source. So uh, that's all. That's, that's enough weekend. for a retired guy. Yeah. 
Well, it's good. Uh, stay safe out there. Pickleball, I've had relatives like pop their Achilles playing. Pickleball is a sneaky high injury sport and people don't know that. I just scared you a little bit. Sorry, I did uh, but pickleball no, was, is one I've been nervous about. Well, I was thinking about this. I, I actually pulled a hamstring playing tennis a couple of years ago, and I went in to see the therapist, and I said, mm. are most of your clients uh, folks that play tennis? He said, no, pickleball. See, More it's not a coincidence. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and then he said, in part because it's uh, typically an older person sport, mm. and some of the older folks don't um, uh, stretch and do the things they need to prepare to play, but... It is a fun sport. I've enjoyed it the last couple of times I've played. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And also the quick movements. Like you're yes. just having to quickly yeah. move and then that's just how you pop things. And as you yeah. get older, it's just 30 and up. I'm 32 and I broke my foot after running 14 years consecutively, Jimmy. And uh, I broke my wedding week. I broke the navicular bone, uh, my wedding week. Oh. It was tough. No, yeah, that is tough. Oh, sorry. I mean, I'm back. I'm fine now, but let me tell you, wouldn't do that again. And uh, had to reassess what I uh, what I'm doing. So now I swim. Now uh, I'm the guy doing laps because it's. Uh, uh, I just yeah. hey, Father Time comes for us all, Jimmy Himes. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it, and we'll have to check back in again soon. Thanks, you will appreciate it. Have a great night. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.